the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it was, is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. While I grew up in Kansas, I've been in Pittsburgh long enough now that I really identify more with being from here. This is where my family roots are, even though most of my extended family is scattered now. This is where my spouse and his family are from, and most of his extended family is still quite local. I know what a gum band is. And while I uh, still tend to use y'all more than yins, I appreciate that local way of giving our language a plural form of the word you. I had a cookie table at my wedding, and if you introduce me to your dog as a Heinz 57, I'll know that you, like I, have a mutt. Even the hills are starting to grow on me a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong. You will still never, ever, ever hear me say, oh my gosh, this is fun, as I am hiking, biking, or running up hill. I will definitely whine about that. But when we returned to Kansas briefly on the way to Colorado a couple of years ago, it felt eerie how flat it was. I learned to drive in Kansas, which, as I'm sure I have shared with you before, is statistically flatter than a pancake. That's one of my favorite statistics. So when we moved back here when I was a teenager to be close to extended family, it was like I had to learn how to drive all over again. Because when you've never driven on anything bumpier than a pancake, the hills around here are abjectly terrifying. Not to mention the bridges all over the place. I'm pretty sure we were back here in Pittsburgh at least six months before I drove faster than about 10 or 15 miles per hour. It's much harder to drive on hills and twisty, turny roads you always make better time driving through straight stretches of highway than through the mountains, which is why when they are building highways, they purposely look for the straightest, flattest paths possible so that they are the most efficient. They are the fastest way to get from point A to point B. And I have been driving on these twisty, turny, hilly roads for more than 25 years and I'm used to it now. Even though flat highways are more efficient and get us places faster, you get used to driving through Troy Hill or the rolling, winding back roads of Slippery Rock. Now, Isaiah 
in our passage this morning talks about making paths straight for God, taking the valleys and filling them in. And this is an appealing idea for a relocated Kansan living in Pittsburgh. It's not that God can't overcome any obstacles in the path, but we need to make space on the human end if we are to get on the highway, so to speak. Sometimes we are so consumed by the roadblocks, by the twists and the turns and the hills that we drive a frustrating 10 miles per hour. This is what the people were doing when Mark started writing the gospel we read this morning. They were fretting about the roadblocks, about the hills and the valleys and the twists and the turns. The world in which Mark was writing from needed some good news. They needed to know that there was room for God to work. But they were waiting to see God work on their terms. The political situation was appalling. There was great unrest in Mark's time, and the people were fed up with it. So Mark opens by saying, This is the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Savior that they have been waiting for. And then, mysteriously, he starts talking about something else entirely. Someone else entirely. In fact, Mark doesn't even tell about the birth of Jesus. He jumps right in to John the Baptist, proclaiming that Jesus is coming, and then straight into Jesus' baptism and the beginning of his ministry. This, for Mark, is where it begins. He is saying there is preparation that has to be done before we get to the part you've been waiting for. This isn't the only gospel that skips Jesus' birth. John doesn't talk about it either. He says, a great light came into the world and John came to prepare the way for that light. Only two of the four gospels, Matthew and Luke, include Jesus' birth in their narratives. But all four of them mention John the Baptist before they begin writing about Jesus' ministry. They all four talk about John coming to pave the way for the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. The preparation is key. Preparing the hearts and the minds of the people for the great work of the Messiah is a step that they cannot leave out. Mark reminds the people of this by connecting the story back to Isaiah. They were traditionally, historically, a people in waiting. Waiting is, is steeped into their very being. Waiting for the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. Waiting for freedom from slavery. Waiting to be allowed into the promised land. Waiting for the Messiah. In order to truly understand the good news. The people had to know that it connected to their history, to the prophecies that had come from long ago about the Messiah and the voice crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way. Mark is using the familiar words of Isaiah to remind the people that there is and always 
has been a comforting voice in the midst of their waiting. God does not leave them alone in the darkness. We are all waiting for something. I'd even venture to say we're all waiting for something important. Even those of us who might not always be able to quite say exactly what it is we are waiting for. Right now, we're all waiting for life to go back to something like it was in 2019. We're waiting for a vaccine. We are waiting for God to move in some new way. We're waiting for God's work to be shown in our lives. Waiting for things to get better. For the world to improve. For the second coming. We, like the Israelites, are still a people of waiting. Waiting stinks. And when we get to whatever it is we're waiting for, we would often rather just forget the part where we were waiting. That's a big part, I think, of why Advent often gets lost in the shuffle or even conflated with Christmas. Although Mark and all the other gospel writers, for that matter, say, no, no, you cannot forget about the waiting. You cannot blow past the preparation There is important preparation in the waiting. Our hearts have to be cleared of the roadblocks. Things that aren't standing in God's way, but are standing in our way. Things we have to move out of the way so that we can open ourselves up to God's new and surprising work. Just like John the Baptist came to prepare the way in the world for the work of Jesus Christ, we have work to do in preparing our hearts for the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. I will never say that God sent this pandemic to punish us or to teach us. But God is certainly using this time to remove roadblocks for many people and communities. This, too, can be a time of preparation in the waiting. Some of you may have noticed that I'm not always the most patient person in the world. I frequently fly around at top speed trying to do 10,000 things at once. And sometimes I hurry just a bit too much. It's one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that winter is my least favorite time of year. Winter mornings can force you to slow down. The first morning of of any normal winter when I walk outside and realize my car is a ball of ice that needs to be melted is nearly always one of the most disappointing or frustrating days in my year. I like to be able to just hop in the car and go, but the car is not ready to go. I have to get in the car first, which sometimes requires a trip to the house for hot water to de-ice the door. Then I have to turn on the car, and once it's on, it has to run for a few minutes before the engine is warm enough for the heat to work. Sometimes you can scrape the ice or brush the snow before the heat's up, but sometimes we get that thick, unchippable ice around here that you just have to melt. What's funny about this year 
is that I haven't had to do that yet. When we got seven inches of snow the other day, I just didn't go anywhere. I'd already been slowed down enough that it didn't change my pace so much. And what a gift of peace that realization was. That this time had slowed me down in a way that brought peace. Let's use this gift of slower time, of less frustration about things like snow slowing us down, and sit in the waiting as we prepare ourselves for what God has next. Let us use this waiting time to ready ourselves for the next new season of life. This is hard work, friends. This is uncomfortable work. But faith is not meant to be easy. If it were easy, if it had no complications or discomfort, the pews of every church out there would be full every Sunday morning. We are meant to wrestle with this stuff because it changes us. That is how we become more Christ-like, how we get closer to God. And we need this space in which to do so. This waiting space that Advent and sometimes the circumstances of the world afford us. There are times where it's obvious what's in the way in our lives. Oh, I need to take more time to read my Bible or I have to do something with this sharp tongue of mine. But sometimes it's much harder to figure out. It's often deeper and harder to pinpoint. In fact, the more of the obvious stuff we've wrestled with, the deeper we find our problems lie. Sometimes we think it's obvious what's in the way, but when we stop to reflect and pray, we notice that it's something else entirely. And that could be a frustrating process, like chipping ice off of a car. It can feel difficult and discouraging and lonely. Sometimes it can feel like God has abandoned us in the waiting. Waiting means admitting that God doesn't operate on our time. But there is a voice of comfort in the waiting. There is a voice in the wilderness crying out, reminding us to prepare ourselves during the wait. A voice of comfort saying, the Lord is coming. Get ready. Prepare the way of the Lord. My prayer for our celebration of Advent this unusual year is that it would be a time of hope and reflection. Remember in this time that the Lord is coming. So let us pray that in this time each heart will be opened to the working of God. That the roadblocks be moved and the paths be made straight. Amen.